0: The lead pastor at Riverstone Church. Let's give him a hand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Riverstone is uh, kind of officially known as the mother church within the network uh, that we're a part of. Um, the church that we were planted out of about three, three and a half years ago. And uh, and Steve and Randall are one of the other network churches sharing this morning. And um, so you guys get get the privilege of uh, of hearing Tom. Tom and I uh, first met when I was at the University of Georgia um, a long time ago now, that is, and, uh, and God used Tom in a, in a, in a mighty way uh, to help flip my life around upside down uh, when I was a senior in college, and um, uh, we've had a great relationship uh, ever since, and uh, it's amazing to uh, get to serve under and meet with and, uh, and have men like Tom uh, in our lives. And uh, so he's one of my heroes. I'm honored to, uh, to get to pray with him this morning as, uh, as he brings the word. So let's pray. Awesome. Father, I thank you for, uh, for Tom. I'm honored to be a son in some way in, uh, in his lineage and the calling that you have on his life. I thank you for the heart that he comes before you with. And I thank you, Lord, that you look at his heart and you say, just like you did to David, this is a man after my own heart. Say something similar to, the, to those of faith in Hebrews, that you're not ashamed to be called their God. And thank you, Lord, for men like this that you're honored by because they live to honor you. So just bless him and bless us in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott.
1: So about, uh, I think it was about five weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, I'm sitting in my office, and my phone rang. And I answered it, guy on the other end said, I visited your church yesterday. He said, it's the first time I've ever been. Um, he said, I have been to one of your small groups a couple of times. Um, he said, I, I liked it. I liked your church. I said, well, good. I'm glad you liked it. He said, uh, I've been living with my girlfriend for five years. We have a two-year-old daughter, and we'd like to get married. I said, well, I think it'd be good if you got married. And he said, well, we'd like to get married by the church, but we want to make sure that we believe everything that the church believes. I said, okay, well. He said, I believe in God, but I'm just not sure about all that Jesus stuff. I said, okay. He said, what would you suggest? And I said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you and your girlfriend come to see me? And you just come to my office on Thursday afternoon, about, about 3 o'clock. And we'll see if we can sort out the Jesus stuff. And if we can, then you can have a wedding. And if we can't, then you can go to the courthouse. And he said, Okay. So he shows up at my office Thursday that Thursday afternoon. He and his girlfriend, they come in my office. We spend about an hour and a half together. And uh, first, you know, they just kind of tell me their story. And I just do a lot of listening. And then for about the last 30 minutes, I just lay out just a simple gospel presentation to them. And, and at the end of our time together, they both prayed to receive Christ. And uh, I said to them after, after they prayed, I said, well... I got two statements and a question. They said, okay. I said, statement number one, before you go to bed tonight, tell somebody, another believer, uh, maybe somebody from the small group that you visited, tell somebody before you go to bed tonight about the decision that you made today. Okay. And I said, now, statement number two, the next time Riverstone does baptisms, you get in the water. Okay. Now, here's my question. What do you want to do about the wedding? And he said, well, we want to get married. And I said, well, do you want to talk to your family? Do you want to talk to your friends? Do you want to look at your schedule? They said, no. He said, we want to get married right now. <laughs> and he reaches over. I didn't even notice when he came in. He reaches over on my desk and he picks up a piece of paper and he said, we brought the marriage license. We got it this morning. And I have rings in my pocket. And I look at the girl and I'm thinking that, you know, she's probably going to say, no, calm down. I I really want a wedding. You know, and I look at her and I said, what do you you think about this? And she said, "Uh, I just feel like the day that we gave our lives to Christ, we should give our lives to each other. I said, well. Wait right here. I walk, I walked down the hall, and uh, Terry Cantrell, one of our associate pastors, is he's loading up his briefcase, getting ready to go home. You're a brother. And I said, Terry, what are you doing? He said, I'm going home. And I said, well, do you want to help me do a wedding? He said, sure, when? I said, right now. <laughs> he walked with me back around to my office. And uh, and we married, uh, Harrison, and Christy right there in my office, and uh, it was it was awesome. And uh, last Sunday, uh, we baptized Harrison. And it's just been an incredible. <laughs> it's, it was, it's just been an incredible journey, and in watching the way God God is moving in His life, incredibly. But it reminded me a little bit of a, of a time years ago about probably 20 years ago when I was in my office in, a, in another place and uh, in Athens, actually. And, and a guy wandered into my office and sat down, and he had been sent there by some girls that lived in the same apartment complex. And they were involved at Wesley, and he was involved in everything else. And uh, they they sent him to see me, and he wanders in my office, he sits down. And I just loved the guy immediately. Lost as could be, but we started talking and he was just, you know, he was very articulate and just fun to talk with. And he's sharing his story. And I mean, and it's, it's hair raising the stuff. You know, you just, you don't want your daughters to meet this guy. And, uh, and he's sharing all this stuff with me. And then he says, so, you know, that's pretty much my story. And they told me I should come and talk to you. So what do you think? And so I did the same thing. I just kind of shared, you know, the basic gospel story with him. And I got to a place where, let me, let me see if I can get you know, a little prop. I'll use this piece of paper. I got to a place in the, in the gospel story where I said to him, I said, this is you and this is God. And really what you want is you want to be in relationship with God and he wants to be in relationship with you. And I, I said, but this is sin. And I said, the problem is that you've got sin in your life. And and honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're far away from God like you are right now or really close to God. You're still separated from him by sin. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said he stood up actually in his chair and, and pointed his finger across my desk at the book. That I was using. He said, that's my problem right there. Sin. If somebody could do something about sin, I'd be fine. And I said, brother, I got good news. (laughs) You know, the question is, why don't we get it? Why don't we get it? Do you realize that our response to sin today is the same as it was in Genesis? <laughs> you would think, by now, we would understand. Adam and Eve, they've got it made. They're in the garden. God has given this them this incredible existence. And they just... It's just too good. They just can't deal with how good it is. And so they have to mess it up. And their reaction and our reaction is pretty similar when sin enters the picture. First thing they did is they, they had fear. They, they went and they hid in the bushes. You know, God's coming. As Scott prayed a few minutes ago, the Lord's coming. He says, Where are you? And Adam says, Well, we're over here hiding. We heard you coming. And, and we hid. Why, why did you hide? And then, you know, shame. Well, we hid because we were naked. God says, who told you you were naked? I mean, did naked even exist? There was nothing else. Why did it even need a name? You know, I mean, prior to this, they've never clothes didn't exist. It was it wasn't you know they were moving from being clothed to being naked. This was it was what they'd always been. They said, "Well, we were we were naked. We were we were ashamed." I, I, I guess they moved from naked to naked. Grizzard, Naked, no clothes on. Naked, no clothes on, up to something. (laughs) Maybe that's what happened. But they felt shame, you know. And then they moved right from shame into blame. Do Do you remember the blame? Is this incredible? Adam looks at God and says, well, actually, it's your fault. It's that woman you gave me. Uh-huh. <laughs> we still do it, don't we? Tell the truth. Uh-huh. I'm. Oh, my goodness. I knew I could get an amen on that. You know, there are certain times when amen in church seems like a question. And there are other times when amen is an exclamation. Yeah, I know all about that. So, anyway. Romans 3 says, All have sinned. No one is righteous. Isaiah 64 says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, even Bob Dylan understands it. Read some of, listen to some of Bob Dylan's songs. He sings about that we're all like filthy rags. There's no one righteous. If Bob Dylan can get it, can't we get it? And, And this is what I'm talking about. The Bible says clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, and yet every time someone sins, we act like it's the first time it's ever happened. Every time someone sins against us, we act like it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. Our response to sin really hasn't changed a whole lot. Adam and Eve, actually, after they kind of did the blame thing, they they did religion. That helps. <laughs> Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves. Here's the deal. I, I don't know. Have you ever wondered about Jesus and the fig tree? that ever puzzled you? I mean, what a, what a random thing. He's walking along, he sees a fig tree, he goes to get a fig, there's no figs on it, he curses it. It dies. That just seems so out of character. You know, I would have thought somebody else would curse it, Jesus would bring it back to life. You know, that just seems more in line with what we know. Well, well here's the story. In Scripture, the nation of Israel is represented by the fig tree. Fig tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. God wants to be in relationship with us. What does relationship produce? It produces fruit. What is a tree that has leaves but no fruit? It is something that has the symbol of life, but not the reality of life. It appears. It has the appearance of life, but not the reality of life. What does that sound like? <laughs> Religion. It has the appearance of life, but it doesn't have the reality of life. Of life. And so, what do Adam and Eve do? They cover themselves with fig leaves. Well, what is religion if it's not men and women trying to cover their own sin through deeds, good deeds, acts of righteousness? So, do you know that if you put a coat on, over a dirty shirt, it doesn't really help. The shirt's still dirty. And yet, we do it. I, I, this this really isn't part of the sermon. This is just kind of a thing that you might want to lock in your mind for later. When Anytime you're in a room that's warm, and there are people in that room that are wearing coats or sweaters, dirty shirt. it's It's just a fact. It's a fact. A coat over a dirty shirt may make you feel better, but it doesn't make you clean. And religion is that way. It may make you feel better for a little while, but it doesn't make you clean. And here's the thing we need to understand. Apart from forgiveness, there is no relationship. That's true whether it has to do with me and God or me and my wife. Apart from forgiveness, without forgiveness, relationship doesn't have a chance. So, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. i going to read three verses, 30, 31, and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. There's no one here who needs to hear from me, but everyone here needs to hear from you, every single one of us. And so I pray uh, that you would speak. And if you can speak through me, speak through me. If you need to speak in spite of me, speak in spite of me. Lord, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth would come from your heart and pierce our hearts and change our lives. And anything that is not from your heart, we pray that it would fall to the ground like dust. And be blown away. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We, we live in a society that has difficulty with forgiveness. We don't know how to give it. We don't know how to receive it. We don't know how often to give it. And this is not a new thing. This goes way back. Uh, think about Peter. Peter goes to Jesus and he says, Well, how many times? I mean, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? Now, let me just say, I grew up in a house with three brothers. Seven times doesn't even begin to solve the problem. Not seven times, Jesus says 77 times, or some translations, 70 times seven. In other words, forever, as long as it takes. Just keep doing it. We don't know how to receive forgiveness we don't know how to give forgiveness we don't know how often to do it genesis one we said before we find adam and eve they're in the garden they've got it made god has given them everything access to everything except for one tree he's got one tree over here he says don't eat from that tree of course they decide this is the tree we want to eat from and so they eat from that tree genesis three is where they sin sin requires justice The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God had told them, if you eat from this tree, you will die. Okay? So they eat from that tree, and guess what happens? They die. They die spiritually in that moment. They die physically later on. Genesis 4. Cain murders his brother Abel. So Genesis 3, sin is just disobedience, taking fruit that you're not supposed to take. Genesis 4, it's already escalated to murder. Because sin, unchecked, always accelerates. Genesis 4.10 says this, that Abel's blood cries out to the Lord from the ground. Do you know what Abel's blood cried out for? Justice. Abel's blood cries out for justice. Now later on, in Genesis 4.23 We meet a man named Lamech. First person we know of in Scripture who had two wives. Friendsetter. Has two wives, says to his wives, I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. Do you see what's happening? First, sin was just taking fruit that they weren't supposed to take. Second, sin is now murder. Now, we've gotten to a point where uh, it's not justice, it's vengeance that they want. You know, when, when Cain murders his brother Abel, Abel's blood cries out for justice. Right here, Lamech says, I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me because sin has accelerated Justice is no longer enough. It's not, if you hit me, I'll hit you back. It's, if you hit me, I'll kill you. And that's what happens. Exodus 4, Moses comes along and he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we believe that Moses' demand for justice is actually the goal. And it's not. Some of us... Spend our entire lives trying to make life fair. Let me save you some trouble. Life ain't fair. It's not going to be fair. And the goal of the kingdom is not fair. The goal of the kingdom is not justice. The goal of the kingdom is redemption. Redemption. Our precondition towards justice even gets in the way with our relationship to God. We are so conditioned towards justice that we can't receive forgiveness. I just don't deserve it. I'm I'm scum of the earth. I am a dog. God could never love me. You know, we even look at it and we think Jesus died on the cross for me and I'm still bad and that's not fair. <laughs> do you think it's a shock to him do you think he didn't know before he went to the cross that you would still be bad <laughs> okay justice is not the goal of the kingdom Redemption is the goal of the kingdom. Redemption happens through mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's why Hebrews 12 says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. OK, the blood of Abel cries out to the Lord from the ground and it cries out for Justice, but the blood of Jesus cries out to the Lord from the cross. And what does it cry out for? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Justice is not the goal of the kingdom. Forgiveness, redemption is the goal of the kingdom. Moses, when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he's not setting a standard. That's not the goal. He's trying to get things back under control. It's gone so far past an eye for an eye, it's now, if you hit me, I kill you. Well, an eye for an eye is better than that. It's not the goal, but it's better than that. So Genesis 4.24, Lamech says, If Cain avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will avenge seventy seven. Does that sound familiar? Peter comes to Jesus. Forgive my brother seven times. Jesus says no. Seventy-seven times. So why is all this important? Why is it important that you understand the difference between justice and vengeance and mercy? Well, the reason it's important is because the covenant that you choose for others is the covenant that you choose for yourself. The covenant that you choose for others is the covenant that you choose for yourself. And you can choose justice. You can choose justice. That's what I want. I'm going to pursue justice. I want everything to be fair and right and balanced. You you will be frustrated beyond belief, but you can choose that. If you want to go for that, you go for that. Or you can choose revenge like Lamech. And say, you cost me thousands, I will sue you millions. You can choose that. It's the American way. Or you can choose mercy. You strike me on the left cheek, I'll turn to you my right cheek. What you can't do, what you can't do is demand justice or seek vengeance and expect mercy. Mercy. And what you can't do is demand justice and pursue vengeance with mankind and expect mercy from God. Because the covenant that you choose for others is the covenant that you choose for yourself. So God calls us to be lovers of mercy. What what would it look like? What would it look like if a community of people... Decided to love mercy. What would it look like? I, I, I love playing golf with people I don't know. Because inevitably, about the 12th hole, they ask me what I do. And then they get real quiet. You know, I mean, they're, they're, it's like they can't speak anymore. You know, they've talked fine for 11 holes. Well, I won't say fine, they've talked a lot. Recently, I was playing golf with my brother. My brother and I were playing with two guys that we didn't know. And we got, no kidding, we get to, it was a little bit later. It was the 17th hole before they finally got around. And they said, Well, what do you do? I said, Well, actually, I'm a pastor. You are? Yes. Well, what kind of church do you pastor? And I said, Well, I would say, and before I could even answer, he says, Are you all one of those crazy, charismatic churches? And I said, Well, how do you feel about snakes? You can ask my brother. He was there. I said, How do you feel about snakes? And he said, Not too crazy about snakes. And I said, Well, you know, we, we normally keep them away from the visitors. He said, no, seriously. And I said, well, if I had to describe my church, I would say that we are spirit-filled but not stupid. <laughs> he said, what does that mean? And I said, well, you need to come and find out. Why is it that we think that our job as the church is to make the world feel bad? <laughs> I... I, I love talking to lost people about church. They have no clue what church is like. And if you can describe for them a place where people actually enjoy themselves, they're sure that you're talking about something else, not church. Isn't church that place you go to if you want to feel bad about yourself? Where did we come up with that? Church probably is the only place that you can feel good about yourself. Because it's the place that you realize your identity. It's the place that you realize that you were created for something. So, what would happen if a significant number of people in a community decided to love mercy and to make their goal in life to invite people into a kingdom whose number one value was forgiveness and mercy. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. And, and crazy things happen just when he says those words. This curtain that's, that's in the temple that's thick, inches thick, it's incredible. It's not just little... Tool, You know, this is huge, thick fabric, and it just rips from the top to the bottom when Jesus speaks this word of forgiveness. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says that rulers and authorities were disarmed when Jesus spoke those words. The hand of God literally shatters walls in every dimension, in every direction, and life pours into places that had only known death. In fact, dead people are actually raised. And in the same way, when you and I choose life, when we choose in the name of Jesus to forgive others, walls come down and hearts are opened and life pours into places that have only known death. Now, of course, if you choose not to forgive... Then we open ourselves to the seeds of resentment and bitterness and rage and hatred. I heard heard, heard somewhere that choosing not to forgive is like drinking rat poison and, and believing it will kill the rat. I've come really to believe that hearts don't open and close, they just turn. Your heart is open. Your heart is open. And and when you choose to forgive, your heart turns turns toward heaven and life. And when you choose not to forgive, your heart turns towards death and hell. It feels like it's closed. It's not closed. It's just dead. (laughs) When we choose mercy, when we embrace the kingdom values of, of mercy and forgiveness, it brings freedom. And when we choose not to forgive, it brings bondage. Luke 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive. The key to the whole statement is Father. Jesus calls on the Father to release forgiveness. Jesus is in relationship, intimate relationship with the Father. And that's really the key to forgiveness. A lot of you have struggled with forgiveness all of your life because you thought it was something you had to do. And you've tried to do it in your own strength. And what you've got to realize is that forgiveness comes from the Father. And if you can enter into this intimate place with the Father, He will give you the grace that you need to forgive others. He will actually do it through you. There have been people in my life that I didn't have what it took to forgive. And trust me, there have been many more who didn't have what it took to forgive me. But God has what it takes. Do you know what it takes? Perfection. That's the only standard. The only standard for forgiveness is perfection. God's the only one that has it so it has to come from him. And so the key phrase, the key word in the phrase is father. I promise you, if you will learn to live your life submitted and surrendered to the will of the father and the desires of his heart, forgiveness will come easy for you. You will become a lover of mercy. And forgiveness is is not. It's not just a good idea. It's an absolute necessity because relationship can't exist without it. Our nature is to sin. We're flawed. And left to ourselves, we will hurt each other. And when we hurt, the temptation is to take control. I got this one, God. (laughs) I'll take care of him. When we've been hurt, the temptation is to step into God's place and be in control. And we've got to learn that when when we've been hurt, our response needs to be to surrender to God and ask him to take over. The situation. And when we are able to do that, He will respond in a way that, as Scott prayed earlier, will make the darkest, ugliest things in our lives the most beautiful things you've ever seen. That's what He does, that's what He's about. We need to be forgiven. And we need to forgive because unless God forgives us, we die. Unless God forgives us, we die. And unless we learn to forgive each other, we will be sick. We will either be sick physically. A lot of times we will be sick physically. We will always be sick spiritually and emotionally until we learn to forgive. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. All of us have people that we need to forgive. Most of us have people who need to forgive us. And most of us, maybe all of us, have areas of our life that we've tried to hide from God that we need to bring into His light and and say, Father, forgive me for this. But the bottom line is this, guys. You... Have never seen yet what a community that is fully surrendered to the Lord, embracing this idea of loving mercy, not tolerating it, not being obligated to it, but loving mercy and loving forgiveness. We've never seen. What that kind of embrace can do to a community. We need to see it. We need to see it. And better than that, there is there is a whole world of lost folks out there dying to see it. The world is not really in need of, of people who have been to church. What the world needs are people who've been with Jesus. And when, you, when you've been with Jesus, you can't help but love mercy. You just can't help it. Okay? Alright, let's pray. God, I pray you give us the grace to forgive, to choose mercy, to choose forgiveness. Uh, it's so easy, Lord, when things happen, to just opt back into our old nature of just wanting justice or revenge or wanting to lash out and, or, or wanting to hurt and feel sorry for ourselves. And I just pray you free us from all that garbage and that you would breathe life into us today. Lord, if there are people here today who, who need your forgiveness, I pray that they would realize uh, that you want to give it more than they want to receive it. You, you, you're ready and it's free. And, Lord, if there are people here today who need to forgive someone, I pray you give them the grace today to make that choice, uh, to do whatever they need to do. If it's, you know, pick up the phone and make a call or or go to somebody's house or, or walk across the room or turn to the person sitting next to them, whatever it is they need to do, Lord, I pray you give them the grace and the courage to take that step to seek forgiveness and to offer it, to give it, and to receive it. Um, Lord, we, we want to be your people, and we want to be usable in the transformation of this community. So teach us to love mercy.
0: In Jesus' name, amen.